You're listening to Technically 200, a podcast featuring the stories of amazing Black and Latino women in STEM. This season, in celebration of Hispanic Heritage Month, we are excited to highlight the empowering stories of Latinas in STEM. Stay tuned each week as we feature Latinas from a range of backgrounds within the STEM field, sharing how they've discovered their passions, overcame obstacles, and paved a way for their respective careers as women of color. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. We are here for episode two of season four, focusing on Latinas and STEM in honor of Hispanic Heritage Month. Today, I have a special guest whose story is very powerful, and I hope encourages many of our listeners today. I'm going to go ahead and pass it over to Elaine, our guest today, to kick it off and share who she is and what it is that she does. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Elaine Zuniga. I currently live here in Austin, Texas. Um, I work as a lead product manager for a healthcare tech company called uh, Vui Health. Um, what we do is we help find people the right care that they need um, digitally. So my career has taken a lot of twists and turns to get me to where I am today. Um, and as I was growing up in my career, trying to figure out exactly what I wanted, I knew that there was an element of technology that was very fascinating and interesting to me and as well as helping people together right and it took me some time to get to where I am but I finally found kind of my place and being able to couple solving problems real problems for people who sometimes are forgotten or also kind of not targeted um so solving real problems, which we know that healthcare is a big problem. And from a digital perspective, being able to do it in a convenient and safe way um, is a, a really cool opportunity that I have. And I'm, I'm really grateful that I've, I've been able to navigate my career to this space and developing digital products within the healthcare space. Such a crucial industry um, and access is so important. Um, I am very excited for you to dive deeper into that, Elaine. But I want to first start touching on uh, the connection to our episode theme, um, Latinas in STEM. So I would love to first give you the opportunity to share how you identify ethnically and also share with us a little bit about your ethnic background and how you feel that plays a role in your overarching identity and how you show up in the world. Yeah, so um, my family is from Mexico um, on my father's side, and I, I was born and raised here in America. So you know, I identify as a Mexican-American, a Latina, a Hispanic, all of those titles, like I embrace them all, right? Chicana even. <laughs> I grew up in South Texas. Um, so that's how I primarily identify. Um, and in STEM, I, you know, again, gr I, I say growing up in my career, um, as my career kind of has taken the, the direction that it has, recognizing that there wasn't a lot of women in that space, a lot of Hispanic women or women of color in general, like you just don't see that. So I will say that it's been something that I originally was a little bit hesitant to do and to move in, but I finally found my direction and my, my way. I would say that it was also not easy to break into that space. Um, and assert myself as um, now a leader in this space. It took some time, but um, I was able, was able to get there. Um, and as far as like being a Latina and just, you know, being part of the STEM world, I think it's such an incredible honor and privilege to be a representative um, of my culture, of my ethnicity, and to represent kind of a, a quieter group of people um, and also help mentor a group of people coming up in the space as well. There are several that I've had the opportunity to chat with and kind of mentor and navigate. Like, how did you do it? How do you get there? How do I, how do I sit in a room full of men, of white men primarily? <laughs> and how do I make my voice heard? So it's definitely been a, a a learning experience for me, but I've been able to to put some of the experiences I had into actions and equip other people in the same way, which has been really, 
really awesome. Awesome. I want to start with where the interest in STEM came from. You, you mentioned, you know, the path. It's now is a straight path um, right. for many of us. Um, but thinking back to young Elaine growing up, were you always interested in STEM? Did you always see yourself on this trajectory? So originally when young Elaine, young Elaine was really interested in medicine. Um, I think I've always had empathy towards people and I've always had this desire to help people. And originally I was interested in going into the medical field. Um, when I left high school though, I didn't attend college and my, that's where, that's where things took a turn, right? I didn't attend college. Um, and I always felt like something was missing. I took odd jobs here and there. I worked for a nonprofit for a while. Um, but there was always just kind of something missing. And, and there's a creative side to me as well that I wanted to tap into. I navigated my way into the advertising space and then I got to dip my toes into technology. So I was able to thread this needle of like solving problems for people in the advertising space, right? Maybe not medicine, but still solving problems for organizations. And then I was able to tap into the technology aspect of it. And I was able to start solving problems from a technical perspective. This was great. And then I continued to thread that needle. And I, I was able to, within myself, recognize that I was interested in Yes, solving problems for people, but I wanted to do something that was for good. So advertising is great because you are able to, you know, solve problems for big organizations and you're able to create some really cool stuff, but something was missing within me. And there came a time when I decided that whatever job I move forward in, when I make this change, I want to make sure that I work for a company that I value I, that I align with their values and their mission and I'm doing work for good. And so the job previous to where I'm at today was kind of my first step in that direction. Yet there was still something missing. And then I think what happened was in my head, I was like, how can I get involved with healthcare and still do the things I love and still solve these digital technical problems, recognizing that there is a miss in the healthcare space for underrepresented groups, like my family. My family struggled with healthcare, getting access to healthcare. My mother is a diabetic. Insurance for her is wildly expensive, right? So how can I think about my family's experiences and friends of mine and create, like I can create products, like that's what I'm good at. So how can I take those two things together. When the opportunity came to interview with an organization like Bowie and accept an offer with them, I was, I was thrilled because I'm, I'm finally where I feel like this is, this feels right. It is so important to find an opportunity that aligns with your values. And I think that that's something that as you progress throughout your career and you start to learn, it's not just, I need the job, I need a job. <laughs> right. I'm sorry. What, it, what does it look like to have a career and one that I get that's myself in um, and that feels good? Uh, yeah. It's that reciprocal um, energy back for sure. Thinking about initial interest in healthcare. You shared a little bit about your background. You didn't initially, you didn't go to college. Um, you didn't right after high school um, and pursue the traditional path that people think it, it takes to get into, I would say, a quote unquote successful career. And many people think it's necessary to have that college degree to have yeah. a professional position. Can you speak more to that for our students, maybe our listeners? Um, we prim primarily serve high school students. So, you know, young people potentially who may be listening that are considering alternative paths, whether it be certifications, um, maybe taking a gap year and getting a different experience. What value did that bring to your story? In addition to not going to college, I also didn't graduate high school. I, I did get a GED and that was really important to me when I decided to leave um, high school. I, I still wanted to fulfill and complete that step. And, and while some people say, well, you didn't get a a diploma. Oh, I got a GD and, and I, I am proud of that. I am proud of being able to, to make that completion. Um, the decision to not go to college was uh, a mixture of me just wanting to try something different, but also I struggled with, um, personally, I struggled with my attention in school, right? I'm a very high thinker. 
<laughs> and the process and rigor of traditional school was um, a little bit of a turnoff to me. And I did kind of think about alternative uh, tracks. At the time, though, um, I don't want to age myself too much, but at the time, though, there wasn't a ton of opportunities like boot camps and things like that to immediately move into and, and seen as valid, right? So this is where the confidence Elaine kind of took a step back and was like, well, I'll, I'll see what I can do. I put myself in this position and now I've just kind of got to work my way through. I'll be perfectly honest. My, my first job, um, when I started to rebuild my confidence and say, I'm ready to like do something that I start, that I'm really wanting to enjoy, right. That I'm really wanting to dig into my, um, fulfillment tank <laughs> I want to fill. Um, I reached out to an organization and, um, I had no skills really to do what they were looking for, but I interviewed well, and it was a small organization. The owner was, um, a woman. So it was a, a, a woman owned company. And I interviewed with her and, the person who would be my boss and they really liked me. And I think what they saw and they liked was my passion to learn, my passion to dig into solutioning and a little bit of the tenacity I had. And I was honest about where I come from, right? And they took a chance on me. Two white women took a chance on me and really catapulted me into the career. That was the first step into the trajectory of my career, which, you know, I am forever grateful for them to say, saying yes to me because they didn't have to, I didn't have what was needed. Um, so I will say it's a mixture of internal, you know, drives and really digging deep and recognizing, like, I don't have to take a mediocre opportunity just because I don't have a degree. I dug in and I recognized recognize what I was good at and what I was interested in. And I chose to follow that path. And over time, I did jump into doing boot camps because I wanted to learn more about the technical side. I took a coding class that was like a 10-week coding class because I was working on websites and I wasn't building them. I was working with people who built them, but I wanted to be able to talk the talk. Right. So I wanted to level up my um, my skill set, even though I knew I wasn't going to be coding these websites, but I did what was necessary to sort of match the level of those that went to um, university and got degrees. And over time experience, I've learned trumps a piece of paper. And I'm not saying that these pieces of paper are nothing because they are um, examples of hard work and dedication. But I also demonstrated hard work and dedication. And I think it's really important to think about that. While college is not necessarily something everybody has to go through, I think you have to look at the alternative and what does that mean for you? It still takes drive. It still takes loyalty and dedication and commitment to yourself, whichever path you take. Mm, that is powerful. Um, I know from previous conversation and also you mentioned it a little bit earlier, alluding to mentorship, um, you didn't necessarily come from a space of like having successful family members, connections, and, you know, the background that might lead you down the path where you had an opportunity and a door open to pursue. Can you speak to me a little bit more about those supportive figures that showed up for you during that time when you were carving out this pathway for yourself? Yeah. So no one in my family really does what I do. So I was introduced to it out of my own curiosity and digging in. And I think over time, while I have had a very supportive system with my family and some of my friends, my close friends, um, with every opportunity I had, I sought out someone who I would say was, oh, that's somebody I, I like how they do X, right? So I want to learn how they do X. And it was some of the small things, like, especially starting out in my career, like I would read emails that other people would write and how they would fix things. And I would, I would take that as like, oh, this is how to have a difficult conversation via email, right? Or even how they would conduct themselves in a meeting. Um, so throughout my career, in every 
place that I've, I've worked, I've sort of sought out one or two people who I've attached myself to as, as mentors, starting from that first company. Um, I feel like the two women who took a chance on me were people who I watched and I learned a tremendous amount from just by simply observing, right? I didn't have a direct mentorship with them, but I observed a lot early in my career. And then as I grew, I learned that I could reach out and say, hey, can we have one-on-ones? Because I want to learn more about X, right? So I leveraged the resources I had at the time, right? I didn't have money to go and, and uh, participate in an official mentorship program or anything like that, you know, something that might cost money. So I leveraged the resources I've, I, I had. And I gained friendships and we, you know, have gone different pathways, but some of my closest friends now are people that started out as my mentors. Um, There's a friend of mine who is also in STEM. She's a VP in marketing. um, And she is someone who I look to all the time and I call her when I need advice, you know, work advice or what have you. But she started out as a friend and, and quickly became a mentor. So my recommendation is look at what you have in front of you, because oftentimes, you know, opportunities for mentorship are very, very close by. What was that point you realized, oh, I can be a mentor, no to others. You alluded to earlier having uh, mentees that you're supporting as well. So yeah, when did that click for you, for you to then become the person where you felt I have a lot of, of insight. I mean, you always did, but when it really, when it really yeah. made sense that your story and your skill set were going to be of value to somebody else. So it, it happened very organically. Um, and I was actually in the process of interviewing for, um, before I, I joined Bowie, I was interviewing with a lot of different people, a lot of different companies and just not even just interviewing. Also, I was able to make a lot of connections uh, via LinkedIn Um, just to kind of chat with some people who may have opportunities in their organization. And they were interested in my story. They were interested in my career trajectory and experience because it was unique, right? It was a little different. And one of those gals um, had a sister who was, you know, kind of in a very similar position that I had been in years prior wanting to make a difference and wanting to make a change, but not necessarily feeling confident in having the right education to say, I want to now do X. And so we just had a conversation and a chat and it's been an ongoing relationship that um, has been really fulfilling on both sides, really. Um, Another opportunity was also very organic where someone reached out to me and was like, hey, I heard your story on a South by Southwest panel you did. And can't, it, was a, it was a cold reach out. I'd never met this person. And they were like, I'm kind of curious. I want to learn more about this because I feel like I'm very similar. And so we've started to um, coordinate and work together. And it really, like mentorship and mentoring isn't necessary necessarily like educating somebody all the time. Sometimes it's just hearing somebody out and giving them advice. Sometimes it is reviewing their work and saying, you know, hey, um, I'm going to do a presentation next week to leadership. Like, can I get another set of eyes on this? I mean, I've done that several times or even helping with resume building, you know, like I'm wanting to make a change in my career can you take a look at my resume? Can you tell me what? So there are opportunities that everybody can have that don't have to be super formal, but they're all part of mentoring people throughout this process. Speaking of the mentorship component, I, I, I don't know if you're too familiar with our programming, but mentorship and internships are really all about, like, that's what we're all about in terms of providing access to opportunities um, and the resources to pr- pursues the majors and careers. Did you ever have the other piece of this? So we're talking a lot about mentorship, but I'm curious, did you ever have access to internships or what, what role do you think maybe an internship would have played in your experience? I never had access to an internship. And I think looking back, it would have been so beneficial in getting me to where I'm at today faster. It would have, it would have helped me figure out my path way sooner. Um, and that's something that I'm actually 
just very, I don't know if passionate is the right word, but I've, I'm really a stickler about this. I, I've worked at many places where we've hired interns um, and usually they come from a university, a college that the company partners with. They come on for the summer, they do a little bit of work and some stick around and some don't. It just kind of depends. And not only access, we talked about access to healthcare and how that's a thing. Access to education is also another thing. And then access to opportunities outside of that education path is another thing, right? And so one thing that I've, I've been speaking out about here recently is how we traditionally handle an internship process. I feel like internships are one of those things that are kind of, people gatekeep that. And I think it should be changed. Internships should be open to anyone who has the skill and the talent to prove that they can do it. They should do it. They want to do it, right? Just like a job application. Um, so while I didn't have it, I think here more recently, I'm like, wait a minute, this feels, this should be changed. I believe that talent and innovation can come from anywhere. And I think that this is one of those processes where we can quickly identify relevant talent if we opened up the internship process and allowed more people to participate outside of the traditional way of, of internships. Yeah, the, the non-traditional candidates and I think that the access beyond the, the normal scope that, that most folks see yeah. is important. Um, and I, I think you, you've highlighted this, but there are, are people, there's plenty of folks who want to make career pivots or who, mm-hmm. you know, go down one pathway and soon realize this is it for me, whether it be the values that they recognize within the workplace, art aligning, or, you know, the experience is just something that's not fulfilling. So I certainly can see how that could be a fruitful experience for um, a more broad uh, population of folks. Speaking of, you mentioned this briefly earlier. But you were on a South by Southwest panel. How did, how did that come about? I believe, if I have this right, from the last time we chatted, the title is uh, Envisioning a World of Design Outside of White Supremacy. Um, so, so tell me more about that experience. Yeah, so I'm going to go back to the, um, the process of when I was starting to interview for uh, a job, uh, I guess maybe a year and a half ago. I was getting introduced to a lot of different people. And one of... Uh, a couple of those people were part of an organization here in Austin called Black UX Austin. So um, it's a, I think it's a fairly new organization, but it's really just a place where people um, from the Black community who are creatives can kind of pull together, talk about job opportunities, experiences, just kind of like a, a community, right? I had previously met with a couple of the founders and um, they were approached to do uh be part of a, a South by Southwest panel and pitch for a panel. Um, and so they reached out to me and they're like, we wanted a, a separate voice on this and we want a strong voice with a different perspective. You know, I worked uh, with them and someone else from uh, an agency here in Austin to pull it together. Um, you know, you know, South by Southwest panels have to be voted on in order to make the cut. And so I was a little nervous, but when we were planning it, we were like, we really want to align with, um, well, we need to align our pitch with what the themes of South by Southwest uh, were. And so la- this year, it was this year. Yeah, this year's, uh, it was all virtual. And one of the themes was for South by Southwest was um, challenging tech's path forward. So challenging the path forward in the tech space. And so we wanted to just really throw it out there and pull together a talk and a title that was a little provocative (laughs) and a little, you know, so thinking about um, all of us work in design in some capacity and in research design or product design, product development, you know. So thinking about it, we came up with Envision a World of Design Without White Supremacy. So how can we amplify the voices um, that aren't traditionally part of the design process. They are marginalized voices. Um, so it's part of technology. It's all part of design. It's, it's all one and the same. But how can we think about the way products are built today 
which are very Eurocentric, right? The process of design thinking really is to create um, products for a targeted audience, which happen to usually be the willing, the able, the capable. But when you think about it in terms of DEINA, like what if we built products that were built specifically for marginalized communities? What if we built products that weren't for the target, but maybe were for those who aren't thought about? How would this space of design and development change? And how much more can we affect um, our communities? How much more can we um, be a solution to people who didn't realize that they had options? So I took it from my experience working in healthcare tech and uh, understanding that, you know, the community that I'm part of, the BIPOC community in general is marginalized and isn't always thought about. Not everyone has access to healthcare, health insurance, which is a big gatekeep for healthcare in general. Um, so how can we bring healthcare to those communities in an efficient and a cost-effective way? Oftentimes these people end up going to the ER because that's their only option. But we know that that's a very expensive option. So how can we get them the right care in a cost-effective way sooner without them having to deal with insurance or hats? A lot of them don't have insurance, right? So how can we do some of the legwork for them? Anyway, going back to the, the panel, we had different perspectives and we were able to really hone in on some things that organizations can do today to um, start to make a difference. And part of that is how they hire, who they bring into the space and how people existing in, in those roles of like leadership can start to amplify voices of the unheard, you know, how can I... How can we look at um, organizational structure and say, yeah, I'm, I'm a leader here, but look at these other people around me who are doing the work and give them credit where credit is due. Allow them to lead projects from their perspective, which may not be a traditional perspective, but it's, an, it's a different way of thinking. But it's challenging text path forward. And it really is saying, what if we did envision a world where white supremacy wasn't the norm, but it was then kind of the outlier, like imagine what kind of um, space we would be in, how, how much more we can be effective in our communities. Such an important topic, highlighting the, the equity and the access that's necessary to basic human rights, <laughs> crucial essentials uh, that we all should have access to, um, but very powerful. Um, and I'm so happy you, got, you were able to be a part of that. Uh, <laughs> your Pleasure to have your voice on this podcast as well. So I can only imagine how powerful it was in that space. Um, you you spoke about being a BIPOC individual, but I would love to know, what is it like being a BIPOC individual in your field? You talked a little bit about representation earlier um, in our conversation, but what is it like being a BIPOC individual in your field? Have you been able to find spaces within your current or past work environments that offer a sense of belonging and community? Yeah. So what's it like to be BIPOC in, in my field and in my space? Um, like I said, I, I grew up not seeing people like myself and, and other people of color not really represented in this role. I just haven't. And I've had a lot of jobs. I've come through and had a, a pretty healthy um, work life and career trajectory, which has been really great. And while I've worked with a lot of different um, types of people and cultures and with back, different backgrounds and ethnicities. Um, I think when we look at leadership and we look at specifically the space that I'm in, which is product development, um, I haven't really seen it. So um, it is important to me, especially in the space that I, I am in today, which is healthcare technology, to be a representative of leading this charge forward and working directly and leading products that are that have outcomes to support this mission this vision of like making healthcare accessible and affordable um, to anyone I don't just hold that as like a privilege and an honor but also kind of um, a very like protected mandate for myself like 
this is this is really important. This isn't just a job for me, right? It's it's something that I like I said, I have ties and connections um back to my family and recognizing how years ago this could have what I'm doing today could have been such a help for my family. And those families just like that were in my family's position exist today and they will continue to exist. So this is a really important thing for me to continue um, and a space for me to continue to like work in and thrive in. So my company, I'm really thankful, is taking DEINA quite seriously. And it's something that we talk about. We make it part of our goals to be an organization that focuses on that and is you know, heads down and, and making sure like as we build products that we are thinking about um, the outliers, we're thinking about these underrepresented communities. And we're, when we do research, like we're talking to people um, who fit across the board into different um, profiles, right? But I would say as my career has grown, um, there has been less and less of that area being a focus until here recently. Um, and so I've been really lucky to be able to find relationships externally. So like Black UX Austin is one of them that I've had a privilege to connect with and be part of. And while I'm not a Black woman <laughs> in tech, like we are all part of the same kind of community, um, community mindset, community thinking, and we all want the same outcomes. And so for them to reach out and say, hey, you know, join us in this conversation. Your voice matters just as much as ours um, has been, you know, really very cool and very appreciate. I, I appreciate that so much. And then externally, like there's different organizations um, like Latinas in Tech that I've, you know, joined and become part of um, online communities, things like that. Um, there's an organization here in Austin that I've been able to uh, do some volunteer work with, which is Latinitas. Um, so there's little pockets across my own like personal, professional community that um, I've been able to touch on. And now with this organization, I'm so glad. Actually, a friend of mine is the one who like reached out to me and was like, hey, have you seen this opportunity? And I'm like, no, I'm very interested in this. So being able to connect with you guys has been, um, has been cool. So I would say, while I haven't found communities like put in front of me um, within spaces that I work, um, I've had to seek them out a little bit, but the digital world makes it so easy to connect with these communities. And so I would say, number one, don't be afraid to reach out to uh, different organizations, they all have social accounts and say, hey, how, how do I get involved? How do I connect? Um, if you're on LinkedIn, same. Just find those voices and say, hey, I, I'm interested in this. How can I get involved? I'm going to do another plug for uh, Black UX Austin because I think it's a really great organization and you guys should check them out um, and reach out. Again, you don't have to be black to join or be part of they have like happy hours like monthly i believe fireside chats and things like that but i think they're such a powerful organization i absolutely love that i think the beauty in the austin community is that there are so many um grassroots and you know folks on the ground yeah you know, working creating our spaces um to promote access and opportunity for our people so that's yeah super important um you kind of highlighted that every, you know, the spaces you've found have been external. I, I definitely love that you've had that opportunity. Um, but I want to pick your brain a little bit and you, and you, are there changes that you would like to see for either like the workplace setting or, or uh, the educational setting to better improve um, access for, um, I would say access, but also just um, inclusion for BIPOC individuals, Latinas like yourself, or maybe even like folks who have different abilities because you spoke about your, your learning style as well growing up. So what maybe are some changes that you would like to see in those settings when you think about inclusivity and access? Yeah, so I would say um, right now, DEINA is kind of a hot topic in organizations. It's over the past year or two years, it's kind of been like a hot button and very highlighted. And I'm glad, I'm glad it's finally becoming something that people are paying attention to and focusing on, but we can't relax 
can't relax our shoulders and say, well, we've hired X percent of BIPOC individuals, so we're good, right? Or we've hired X percent of, you know, BIPOC individuals in leadership, and so we're good. Like that can't be the end of the effort. And it can't just be the end of the effort also when we're like, even what I was saying, like we're, we're working on making sure that our products are accessible and making sure that our products are, are developed through the lens of marginalized people and not just the target audience, right? We also have to foster a community internally where this is a passion of ours. Like, and I think internally, I mean, I don't work for a very large organization. I think there's a lot of larger organizations. In fact, a company I've come from had a a very specific like internal group that was specific for the Hispanic community. Um, so I think creating these, t- taking uh, an opportunity to say, here's what's missing. So let's create this organization. I'm not necessarily for um, creating these like siloed communities of like, this is the Latin community and this is the Black community and this is the, you know, whatever other community that we are creating these silos within the workplace. But I think there's, a, there's probably opportunity to create this like desire for this community to maybe be educated, to educate, you know? So, so it doesn't just have to be BIPOC people who are part of it. Like you want to come and learn more about our culture. You want to learn more about our community. You want to learn more about what we're doing. You know, I think one really beautiful thing about, um, cultures is how we celebrate um, because we all like to celebrate no matter what culture ethnicity you are and we have holidays and different things like that there's different ways to celebrate and that's a way of creating community so something as small as like for example hispanic heritage month maybe there's a thing we do in our organization that like highlights it and it's an opportunity for education about you know different ways that we celebrate or different struggles that we have in our community, in our culture. And it's not just struggle that we have that I have here in Texas, right? Maybe let's talk to someone who is um, Latino, Latina, who lives in New York. Like, how is it different? How are our celebrations different and the same and unique? So I think something, starting something as small as like, let's celebrate this culture during this month and let everybody kind of partake and be part of is one step of doing that. From an education perspective, I think one really, I mean, there's so much that I could say about education. I'm actually working on a sort of a side project with a friend who works in education. And, and I've been so detached from like how education functions for a while, right? From the administrative side, I've actually never been part of it. So I've, my eyes have been totally opened on where things have been a failure to kids and also like oh yeah this is why it was kind of a failure to me I think it would be also beneficial for those in the education space to also be celebratory of these different um, cultures and ethnic groups and not in a way of excluding others but again a way of celebrating them So they can empower these kids when they're out of the edu when they're when they're out of high school, for example, and they're moving into college, they continue to carry this pride and this desire to be culturally forward no matter what route they take. Right. And then they can carry that same like tenacity and pride of their culture, but also educating mindset when they go into the workplace. I think we didn't have that a lot when we were younger. And so now we're kind of trying to figure it out, right? But if we equip kids younger to be proud of their culture or their heritage and we celebrate it collectively, that's going to care. That pride is going to carry throughout as they continue to um, mature. And when they get into the workspace, it's not going to be like, oh yeah, I am, I'm a, I'm a diversity hire. (laughs) You know, it doesn't have to be that way anymore. That doesn't have to be Elaine is a minority in the product tech leadership space because she's a a Hispanic woman. Like that can just be the norm in the future. 
I love that you spoke about um, that apparent duality for a lot of folks. You know, sometimes it's like, I need to show up this way in my professional space. I can show up this way with my family. Um, one question that, that I have for you, or just curious about your opinion and maybe even your experience with that is, I, I know a lot of young people also struggle on the opposite end. You know, if they are the most educated or, you know, maybe they're in an industry or a realm that their family's not familiar with, Yes, you know, you have the support of your family generally, but they may not always understand what it is that you do, what path you took. So um, I guess, do you have a connection that that speaks to your experience? You know, especially with your background being, um, you, I think you mentioned kind of the only one who pursued the path that you took. What does it look like to show up as someone who is tenacious and, and culturally um, you know, prideful, but also able to bring your experiences and everything you're working towards professionally to that familial space. I'll be really honest. My, if I, if you asked my parents, like what I do today, they wouldn't be able to tell you. They probably, they probably would say like, she works on websites because I probably gave them that context like years ago. (laughs) And they're like, oh yeah, you, you do stuff on the internet, right? Like you do apps. (laughs) I think that's the context that they have. I think I used to try to educate them and be very specific uh, about what I did, but I recognize like it's, it's so not familiar to them. So I had to, to kind of explain things in a way that they would understand. Um, And so it may not be exact, but it's like, it it helps them get, they get the gist of it. Um, I would say that my family is incredibly proud of me there. And, and I appreciate that. And I know that not every, not everybody has the same kind of support, but my family is incredibly um, proud of me, even though they don't quite know what I do. Um, and it's, it's very cool to be part of that because um, it, for a while it was tough for them to understand the path that I took and why I was doing what I was doing. But um, I think for those who don't necessarily have the same, the same kind of support that I'm so lucky to have. Yeah, I get it. It's different to show up different as two different kind of people, (laughs) depending on who your audience is, but that's sort of not lost on me anyway, you know, depending on who I'm, I'm with, I I found myself doing that as well. Right. When I, I go into an interview, I'll be really honest. When I go into a new interview, with people, I am concerned about my ethnicity and how is that going to be, and not just my ethnicity, but also being a woman in a very highly technical space. Like, how is that going to be perceived or taken, or am I going to be taken seriously? So I have to sort of even put my Latina side down. I sort of have, well, I thought I've had to do that, put my Latina side down and just show up in, uh, a, a little bit of a different way. And I'm, you know, it's, it's constant learning experience where I'm breaking that mindset down and saying, if I can't show up as my authentic self, then I don't need to show up. That took years of learning. And so if I can get that message across today, like show up as your authentic self always. And there may be people who don't love it, who aren't as accepting of it. But when you spend time being who you truly are, it does something inside of you. I got to say, it does something inside of you. And that confidence sort of rises to the top and then nothing else really matters after that. If I can dig a little deeper there, I'm going to love to know. I think that's amazing advice. I absolutely love that you've shared that. Um, Curious what your non-negotiables are. When you are entering a setting, maybe an interview or professional space, um, or a space where you just want people to know who you are as Elaine authentically. What, maybe, maybe cultural factors, maybe factors of you being identifying as a woman. What are your non-negotiables that, you're, that you say to yourself, I'm bringing this to this space and if it's not accepted, this isn't a space that I need to be in? That's a really great question. Um, I, I think that I, I do think about that, especially when I'm going into interview. Um, and actually when I was interviewing with, Bowie, this company, one of the questions I asked, because we were sort of, you know, in the thick of Black Lives Matter, um, kind of everybody 
being aware of it and everybody having a position on it. And so I needed to hear from who I was interviewing with, like, talk to me about what your stance is as an organization in this. So I don't think I ordinarily would have asked a question like that because um, it wasn't something that was so talked about, you know, four or five years ago, right? So I made the decision to ask that question knowing that if I heard an answer I wasn't happy with, I was going to say goodbye to an opportunity. Same thing with vision and mission. And um, Billy checked all the boxes, right? <laughs> they uh, definitely were committed to cultural diversity. They um, definitely were um, a mouthpiece for change, things like that. When I was interviewing and talking about this is our position, this is our stance. Um, so those are the types of things. And as a Latina woman, like I realized, like I can ask these questions. I don't have to show up and take an opportunity that I don't align with morally um, or just something that rubs me the wrong way. And so I think even as, 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 as long as I've been in the workspace, in the workplace, um, I didn't realize that I could ask these questions, but I had to make a commitment to myself. Like I said early on, like I made a commitment that I wanted to do work for good and I can work for a company that their mission is doing work for good, but they're not actually walking that walk, that talk, right? They're not walking the walk. Um, I, I don't have to say yes. And I need to be confident in that. No, just as confident as I would be in the yes. So some uh, non-negotiables for me are understanding their position about women in leadership, number one, um, diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. Like, where do you stand and is that publicly facing? Because that's important to me. It can't just be like an internal memo. Um, around the time that I asked about Black Lives Matter movement, like I, I was just wanting to know where they stood and I was very much prepared to back away if, if I didn't hear what I needed to hear about their support of the movement. Um, but that's my personal stance, right? So I think... Um, as someone who's listening, who is thinking about these things, like, again, showing up as your authentic self, part of that is making decisions of like, okay, I'm asking these questions because this is a make it or break it for me. And it's important for me to say yes. Um, like I said, as confidently as it may be to say no, because this matters in my, you know, we spend most of our time at work, right? So these are important things for us to think about. Uh, so I would challenge people to, to make this list, make a list and ask those questions when you're, when you're in that position. Man, Elaine, you are dropping gems on this episode. I feel like <laughs> you're going to listen to this and be like, this is exactly what I need. And I mean, I love you're nodding like, yes. Um, I actually have like one final question as we, as we work towards wrapping up. Um, if you were mentoring your younger self, and maybe some gems for yourself, what you needed to hear. What would you tell her or what would you teach her? I would, I would probably tell her like, you're smarter than you think you are. I would tell her like, keep going. It's not going to be easy, but nothing good really ever is, you know? Like it's worth it. Like the work is worth it. There's many times in my career, like, is it worth fighting for this position or my stance? Um, yeah, it's worth it. Um, I would probably also tell her that the stereotype of a Latina woman <laughs> is going to come out. Like that's going to be put in front of you and you have the opportunity to prove them right or to prove them wrong. And break down that stereotype, right? And I've had that opportunity and I'm, I'm really proud of it. And I think I, mo more than anything, I would just tell her like, it, you may feel like completely lost, but you're on the right track. You're on the right track. Um, I think the most, I would instill in her confidence where confidence was lost. I think every, every young girl needs confidence, especially going into 
a STEM <laughs> opportunity, a STEM environment. Um, I hope that that doesn't have to be the case sooner rather than later, right? That there is real equity. But in the meantime, if anyone has opportunities to um, empower or mentor young girls who take the slightest interest in STEM, foster that, dig deep, encourage them with confidence. And when they come to you with like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if this is right for me. We going to keep pushing them. And also I would encourage um, people because I did this to myself. It took me a while, but I would encourage them to seek out, seek out things that are interesting. Um, one thing that I personally struggle with with the kids graduating high school, I have a, a lot of nieces and nephews who are sort of in that like high school, just left high school, going to college, and then having to decide what they want to do, declare a major, right? You're 18 years old. I mean, take some time to, yes, go to school and do what needs to be done, but find opportunities to explore areas of interest. Because when, you, when you're starting to make a decision at 18 years old, you kind of are still learning who you are. And you can have multiple interests that are completely diverse, right? So I have a niece who is really interested in baking and cooking and just really more baking, but also she's interested in engineering. You don't have to choose, right? And in five years, you may be an engineer or you may go into culinary school. Who knows? But use the, this time that you have to dig deep into things that um, are interesting first. And then your, your career and your, your trajectory will like, it'll blossom out of that. And I, it took me a while to do that. But once I did it, I was like, oh, this is it. This is a speed. So foster, foster the interests and instill confidence when you have those opportunities. Wonderful. Elaine Zuniga, thank you so much for being a part of today's thank you. episode. Um, I, we truly appreciate your insight and just perspective on some of these very important topics. I mean, we touched on so much, but I am, as I mentioned earlier, excited for our, list, our listeners to hear this episode. I think it was extremely powerful and hopefully will encourage um, both the young and the seasoned <laughs> uh, STEM and tech professionals yeah. and beyond. Um I do want to just make yeah. a shameless plug. You mentioned the, the value of mentorship as well. Um, at Cote College, we do have plenty of mentorship opportunities. Um, so for those listening, um, feel free to check out our website. Um, we have volunteer opportunities for undergraduate mentors, as well as our Vision 2024 program, mentoring uh, Black and Latina young women. So a powerful opportunity, again, to continue on this, um, this legacy. So thank you so much again. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was such a great opportunity, like a privilege for me to be part of this and to connect with this organization. So thank you. Thanks again for listening to today's Technically 200 episode. Don't forget to subscribe and visit us at technically200.com. 